Hi, and welcome to the Wine Goblins. We are three best friends trying to share our love of wine with anyone willing to listen. And my name is Danny. I am the beginner wine lover here. I know very little. And I would say our expert is JR. JR, you want to take us away and introduce yourself? I'm the, I'm the fake expert. We have no credentials on this podcast. We're, we're just three best friends who love wine and uh, love hanging out and, and chopping it up. And speaking of best friends, I think I'll toss it to my best friend, Aaron Saws. Hey, folks, my name is Aaron. I'm based in Washington State, and I am uh, somewhere in between Danny and JR in regard to wine expertise, just trying to learn a lot about something I really enjoy. And we hope that you folks can join us on our journey. And first up, we are going to do a correction corner on something I previously said that was apparently false. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 we're not experts. So correction corner might be longer the longer this podcast goes. But uh, this week, we're talking about something that happened in last week's episode, which is tannins. Um, our adorable, adore the explorer of the wine world uh, talked about how tannins affect uh, Gamay fur. Uh, as someone who might be listening to this, uh, tannins aren't normally something that you associate with Gamay. Aaron, what did you think when you first heard Danny talk about tannins and Gamay? I thought, oh, our sweet poor child, Danny. You know, it's kind of like, you know, this. so recording this in early November, Thanksgiving's coming around the corner, followed by Christmas, of course. So it's really the time to be charitable to those who, you know, might be kind of like orphans in a way. So I kind of looked at her the same way. Look at like an adorable Dickensian orphan, you know, like just sweeping a chimney in old yield London town in the early 1800s. But no, I thought we would have to maybe re-edit that part. But I think Correction Corner is the way to go. So let's talk about what was said and kind of what our take on it is. So Danny, do you want to go ahead? Yeah. So let me tell you what I do know about tannins. I learned this from JR here. If you swirl your wine in a glass... And it has these little legs that appear. The more legs equals the more tannins. Is that correct? I'm not entirely sure if that's correct or (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure what I was talking about that time. Aren't legs usually associated with the alcohol percentage? I think so. This was like hour two of wine tasting, so Okay. It might be it might be the speed of the legs coming down has some relation to either alcohol or tannins. Because the grippiness, I think, might be related to the speed of the legs coming down on your glass. So I think that is the is the way to try to like look into the tannin structure of a wine. Or you could taste it. <laughs> that that probably would be a good way of approaching it. But hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you have no idea what tannins are, and we've just spent five minutes talking about tannins, and you probably are more confused. Uh, so tannins- what do tannins taste like? Can I take this chair for a moment? So, Danny, I believe you're talking about uh, how some one of your favorite wines you usually try to order or look at is uh, Gamay, Gamay grape from the Beaujolais region of France. Of course, there's other regions where they grow Gamay, but um, and it's usually a lighter bodied, maybe medium bodied. But there's a lot of a uh, fresh berry you know, notes to it, which a lot of times might evoke kind of a puckering, not dissimilar to like a early summer fruit that's not quite you know fully there yet. Which I don't think. I don't think it's correct, but also I see where we're at. I think tannins are more... And JR, why don't you go from here? Yeah, so Aaron's on the correct track. I mean, like Danny's talking about like unripe fruit, where tannins is more about something that like grips your taste buds a little bit more rather than like makes you want to go back that much. So there's a difference between like acidic and tannic. And like that can be hard to kind of like define. But when you taste it, you know it. And like if you put a gamay next to like a 
Kabsov or like a Syrah. It's such a stark difference in terms of like the how heavy it is on your tongue and how heavy it is in your mouth that like you, you can kind of immediately notice what tannins really feel like. If you feel like your mouth is being dried out at the end of a sip of wine, that's generally more prevalence of tannins. And obviously, some grapes can uh, have that more naturally in there. You can some winemakers, you know, make it in a way that, you know, pronounces kind of that, that feature of it. But a lot of times it's made to pair with rich, salty food, too. It's so, so in my opinion, like a lot of obviously like Jerusalem Cabsaw, which is grown so, so many places around the world. But also, I feel like a lot of Italian wines are, especially Sangiovese, Sangiovese, am I saying that right? have a lot of tannins at the end because that's, I guess, from my, my wine store guy, Tom, said, like, that's where the food goes. When you feel that, that's... And so it's meant to be pairing with food. Interesting. I learned yeah. a lot. Yeah, that shout was... out to shout yeah. out to Tom. Uh, we'll leave uh, what is tannins as a link in the show notes. So if you want to go on the deep dive and correct us even more, feel free to head over and learn more about tannins. But we're we're going to move on now to the wine news of the week, where hopefully we don't have to do another corrections corner next week. But we, we will. Crossed. We will. <laughs> so, we're going to be wrong a lot. So the wine news of the week uh, has hit international headlines now. I think BBC covered this. I think a few American outlets cover this, too. Recently, French winemakers have been posted up at the border between France and Spain basically attacking trucks carrying Spanish wine into France. And so we have deemed this the war on cheap wine, or if you prefer, the war on inexpensive wine. And this kind of goes back to the current climate on wine, which has been adjusting the supply and demand. France made the news recently this year about ripping out a ton of vines in Bordeaux. The Rioja region of Spain has followed suit to kind of balance the numbers. If you followed harvest in 2023, it's been bountiful. So there are some growers who are thinking they have way too many grapes. Part of the appeal of wine currently has been a more elevated approach. And there's less consumers who are purchasing wine in that cheaper bracket. So what do you guys think about this current battle on cheap or inexpensive wine? I think my grandma is fully keeping afloat a lot of those cheap wines. She does enjoy a good boxed wine. And uh, God bless her. <laughs> grandma likes her American boxed wine. So I think she might be OK, but she's probably going to see a see a sales price. So she'll be stoked about the sales price coming from the <laughs> 2023. I don't even know if they put a harvest on boxed wine. <laughs> Just kind of whenever, you know, sometime recently, probably. But, you know, I. I, for one, am shocked that the French are protesting something. <laughs> I, I expected better of the French. You know what I mean? And, but anyway, are we 100% sure, though, this is not a staged you know, uh, event as like a promotion for the next Fast and Furious? Like the first Fast and Furious followed folks who robbed trucks of DVD VCR combinations. This might be kind of like the next installment. So can we double check the press release to make sure Vin Diesel's not in there? Did we I watched the I watched the video clips and they're very high quality. So I could now that you've flagged this for me, I, I'm starting to see some cracks in the story. It probably is not, but I think we should double check, do our due diligence. But once we confirm that it's not, you know, staged, it, it is a little I'll confirm. Okay, it's not. Thank you, Danny. Yeah, there you go. It does seem a little it's a little a little extra, as the kids say. 
but I, I understand where they're at. They're they're upset that their livelihood as uh, you know folks who have a uh, culture of wine. You know, I'm talking from the French perspective. Of course, the Spanish do as well. Their livelihood might be at at risk because uh, consumer tastes have changed, and they're kind of upset. And they look at you know a delivery of Spanish red wine that is. I can't speak to the quality, but according to them, low quality and expensive is also now degrading their product. But again, that's also from my point of view, it seems like that's just kind of part of how the world is working, like with globalization, you know, ease of trade, that sort of thing. So I don't know how they re- can really um, respond to that. There's a lot of like cultural and economic like factors here. And we're probably not going to dive too deep in that because Correction Corner is already going to drag on pretty far <laughs> next week. But I, I think one of the things that like I heard recently, and it was relatively famous wine importer talking about the difference between a $10 bottle of wine and the difference from there to a $100 bottle of wine is greater than the difference between a $100 bottle of wine and a thousand or 10,000 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's this mantra now that like the cheap bottle of wine basically ends at $30, where I think maybe five years ago or 10 years ago, the cheap olive wine probably ended at $10 or maybe even $7. Now, I think there there's more winemakers who are trying to hit the sweet spot, which is the wines we kind of talk about in that $20 to $50 range. And so if you can grow grapes cheaper or make wine cheaper in Spain, but then throw like a French label on it, it's kind of the dark side of wine and something that does happen. But I mean, for the most part, it's not super common in terms of the wines that are imported to the U.S. Hmm. So let's talk about ripping vines out. JR, what would be the purpose of ripping vines out? So mono farming is basically when you only put grapes or vines in a certain area. And now we've kind of seen that that's actually not good for the dirt, for the soil, for growing grapes, for any part of winemaking. And at that point, when you're just putting vines in, and the whole shift of that area has become just vineyards, you're overproducing grapes, you're taxing the vines that are there, everything kind of goes down. And this works to the supply and demand factor. So if you're in an area where you're already mass producing a ton of wines, you're throwing more vines into it, so you're adding more grapes to it, all of a sudden there's not any need for these grapes. And then at the end of a season, the grapes are sitting on the vine. It's not helping anyone. No one's buying it. So you rip them out to drive up the demand, but also to try to help the soil a little bit too and help that area to become more diverse in terms of the farming. And that's something that's kind of been lost in certain areas of every agriculture. Like every agriculture does this. This is just maybe publicized a lot for us in the wine world, but you, you've especially seen it in Bordeaux. You've seen it in Rioja areas where there's just a ton of grapes, mass produced wine. And now they're kind of realizing like this isn't good for our winemakers because they can't really make a living if they're having extra grapes sitting on their vine at the end of the year. Danny, thoughts? That's very interesting. Yeah. At the end of the day, it sounds like it is pretty simple, just supply and demand. Yeah. In regions. Economics, as one would say. Right. Some might say that. Um (laughs) You know, shout out to Stringer Bell, that shit's inelastic. <laughs> At the end of the day, it does sound like it's simple, you know, supply and demand, especially for these kind of, let's just call them, I don't know, classic wine regions that have for decades, if not hundreds of years, had a lot of prestige or cachet, such as Bordeaux, that just, you know, as consumer tastes change, you know, I'm sure Bordeaux are still terrific and with a, with a steak or something or on a special occasion, but, you know, every day, 
is not really a you know time for Bordeaux because it's especially with you're talking about climate change. We're talking about you know warmer weather, longer summers, maybe potentially shorter winters. I think of Bordeaux as like a rainy, cool evening with like you know a really rich food. But if it's you know instead of it being forty eight degrees, it's fifty nine degrees. I might say, eh, let's just try something a little bit lighter. So I don't know. It does. It does sound all pretty standard to me, and I don't know if it's a war on cheap wine, but maybe just consumer tastes are changing, and folks are just generally slow to adapt, which is human nature. We're we're a little bit unfair picking on Bordeaux. This is happening elsewhere too. I think Bordeaux just gets the moniker because it's a famous region, but the great vineyards of Bordeaux aren't going anywhere. These these are the auxiliary places that like yep. they're they're still classified under the AOC of France as Bordeaux, but they're they're not really the first choice places for where you would purchase your Bordeaux styles of wine. Right. Uh, my wife and I went to the Bordeaux region a year and a half ago, Flex. And, you know, I didn't know too much about the wine history at that point. But all, all I did know was that it was, you know, a prestigious, you know, wine region where the wines I've had from them, I generally really like. However, we went to a grocery store to pick up some items for our road trip and just went to the, line, the wine, you know, area, of course. And assuming, you know, Bordeaux are generally nice and expensive. And I think of the hundreds of bottles there, I mean, maybe 90% were under 12 euros. They all were very affordable, if not cheap, from my point of view. So that was pretty pretty damning to see. And I'm sure a lot of Bordeaux that are a little nicer make it over here. But it is just a normal wine region that have, obviously has prestige. But there's a cat on my fence. Sorry, I'm distracted. But it also, they just have tons and tons and tons of wineries and grape growers. And, you know, if the demand isn't there worldwide, it's just that makes sense to replant things or, you know, maybe do things to drive the demand. So and back to Danny's point about like the economics of it, I, I most recent studies have shown that the 21 to 29 year olds who drink alcohol aren't drinking wine. So they're, they're losing a significant section of a consumer base and they're trying to compensate by making less wine now. So, I mean, I don't know if my friends only drink wine because like, I don't know why I'd be friends with people who don't drink wine. That seems crazy I to me. Say, but... I will say I am in that age bracket and you are the reason I started drinking wine. And so that's why we stayed besties. <laughs> well, right. can we talk about these statistics? Sorry, who did this? Was it the Silicon Valley Bank? They put out these stats and 35% of 21. So people in their 20s, 35% drink alcohol. Oh, not wine. Right. That seems low. We... That seems ridiculous. None but also, of my I miss, I, drink wine. Why? I mean, one does, but that. Okay. Yeah. I miss. I misread the stat. I thought it was one of those things where they're lying about how much that people actually drink. Like it's they're talking to their doctor. Like, right. Oh yeah, seven <laughs> seven drinks a week max. Just a little half glass with you know for the antioxidants. Okay. Yeah. My mistake. I misread the stat. Also, Silicon Valley Bank probably isn't the most uh, favorable place in the wine world, but now it's owned by First Citizens Bank, so so they're doing better. Did something happen? <laughs> for the corrections corner next week silicon valley bank or uh went out of business and took all the money from a ton of wineries in uh the northern california region i think that was this year in 2023 so yeah it was like wow. March. yeah a wine news of the week on that well we weren't well, doing a podcast like seven months ago i didn't hear about it okay that's crazy that's my bad danny i should i should send you all the financial uh news <laughs> Please, please do. Have you heard of what the Fed said about interest rates? <laughs> They're very high. <laughs> Historically, though, you got to look at it in context. So do we want to move so this on? This is an economics to... podcast. <laughs> <laughs> do we want to move on to 
the next section here, wine list of the week. Well, we have to, but we have one more about what even is fine wine. Oh, okay. I, let's. I think that's you... an important like point to make because like if we talk about cheap wine or inexpensive wine, like where are you going to classify as fine wine? And like we yeah. talk about the wines we enjoy on this podcast, which we'll get to this week's later in the episode. But we try to stay in the twenty to fifty dollar range for the wines that we're drinking, and we're looking at wines that are a little bit better than we'd anticipate to find at a grocery store. Some of them might be available at grocery stores, so I don't want to cast a wide net on that, but these are wines that we feel like are worth your your time and your money, and we've kind of picked that price point because we think it's relatively affordable. It's it's a nice wine to drink for that week as a little treat to yourself. Let's move on. Yeah, perfect. Great answer. So can Great I introduce job, the next one? Wine list of the week? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. It's Yang's Kitchen in LA, a Chinese fusion. And for this section, we each went and we looked at the wine list and we chose a wine that we would order if we were there eating and drinking. And we're going to discuss our choices and why we would pick that wine. Who wants to go first? Well, let's talk about the restaurant first, because I have never heard of this until you guys brought it up. Is this a well-known kind of a foodie place? It looks like it's between downtown and Pasadena. Am I looking at that right? All right. You want to tell us about the... Uh... How'd you pick? Yeah, how'd you how'd you find about find out about Yang's Kitchen? And is it close to you? Is it far from you? Have you been there? I only find out about restaurants through their wine list. That's the spectrum of how I view restaurants. Yang's Kitchen, I believe, is one of the trendier, newer restaurants in the LA area. It's not one of those kind of classic places that have a reputation. It's been garnering quite a bit of reputation recently in terms of their progressive Chinese fusion menu. But they also have an excellent wine director there who's pulling in some bottles at, I would say, a reasonable price point for Los Angeles. Keep in mind, this is Los Angeles. We're no longer in Austin, Texas, which we talked about in our previous episode. So the cost of the wine's going up a bit, but this is a place that's available. I, I believe they're open for brunch and dinner. Now, JR, I, I live in Washington State, so I'm, this might be a silly question, but is it easy to find a good wine director in Los Angeles because there's so many out-of-work directors? Um, no, it is okay. not easy to find. Uh, I believe, I could be wrong on this, but I think most of them are imported from New York. I, wow. I think a lot of uh, wine people actually get their start in New York because there's more restaurants. I actually know somebody in the restaurant industry in New York. And Flex. Is, they said that's, yeah, they said that to me. So You're I think telling me true. that there's good restaurants with good wine lists in New York City? Yeah, I've heard yeah. That. yeah, it's crazy what's out there in this world. Wow. Okay, so Yang's uh, looks delicious. Just for folks who aren't aware of it, they have all kinds of things. I'm sure they have a rotating... They have uh, veggie menu. options. They have veggie options, which is great for Danny. But oysters, I'm into oysters. I'm just giving folks a heads up just in case kind of give them context before we, before we order our wine. Lots of shareables, cold sesame noodles, roasted squash and kale salad. They have set meals with you know braised tofu, chicken thigh. So it, it looks like you could probably have... I know we shouldn't have eaten before this. But it looks like you can have a pretty wide range of foods here at Yang's. So just... Yeah. Then you up for the uh, for the wine list because I don't like to look at wine lists in a vacuum. I like to think about how I'm gonna you know approach it with my meal. And so I can avoid corrections corner next week. Yang's Kitchen was open in 2019, so it is relatively young, but it survived those first few years and it survived COVID. So hopefully, knock on wood, it's here to stay. Shout out. Okay, Danny, do you want to go first? Yeah. All right. Let's hear it. So I chose a Pinot no- Noir. <clears throat> yep. And. <laughs> Ah, it's Theory Richo 
Okay. Uh, Rouge 2017, $69. Do you see it there? It's under burgundy red. We do see it there. All $69 right. $69 is a nice price. Yeah. Yeah. And Realize. I, <laughs> according to Vivino, it, it's a website. It goes well with beef, <laughs> veal, game, such as deer, venison, and poultry. So, you know, that's just in my repertoire there. And how do you think it would pair with veggies? I think it'd be a little heavy for veggies. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess we'll change our order then. <laughs> so, Danny, um, are those things that that particular Pinot Noir would pair with or yes. just Pinot Noir in general? No, that's that specific one. Okay. Is, now, does anybody want to correct me how I said it? Because if you can say it more. Uh, we, like to, we like to support women on this podcast, not correct them. So I'm asking. You, you do you, queen. Okay. So, so anyway, yeah, go on. So this is not from a traditional uh, part of Burgundy. This is, oh, man. Iron Sea, I believe is how you say it. It's actually from sh- the northern part of Burgundy, which is kind of like by Chablis, which is a little bit of a colder region, which like I believe the Chablis uh, producers normally get their Pinot from, if I'm remembering it correctly. So it's not it's not necessarily something that's coming from like the bone or the heart of uh, Burgundy. It's a little bit outside, but that might impart uh, some different flavor profiles than what you would normally look for, but it's also like a little bit more rare and a little bit harder to find some of those bottles. So it could be a real interesting uh, wine that would pair with this meal for, for me. Oh, sorry, Danny, go ahead. Oh, I was also going to say it has a 12 to 13% alcohol by volume and go on. So it'll probably be a little leggy. All right, go on, JR. (laughs) You love the legs. Um, For, for me, (laughs) I was also going red and, this is uh this is one of those if you know you know bottles and it's not cheap but I was going with a Lang Nebbiolo from Cantina Darcy. Cantina Darcy is pretty much only available on a restaurant list. Uh it's a winemaker. I think he's from Australia. His name's Tom Myers. Uh he moved to Europe when he was young and he worked in Burgundy for a long time. Then he decided to move to the Piedmont region of Italy, which is in the northwest part of Italy. And he has a, is a vineyard there and a label under Cantina Darcy. Super hard to find his wine. This is a 2020 Nebbiolo. So it's a young Nebbiolo, but it should just be screaming with fruit and a little juicy tannin structure to it. So it should hold up well to this food. It's priced at 85 and considering you can't really find this bottle anywhere, Take the credit card. Yeah, I got the air miles. What what do you what do you anticipate eating with this uh wine, JR? I, I don't care. I'd let I'd let Aaron order for me. <laughs> All right. There for the wine. I'm gonna eat just right, dozens of oysters. All right. So this one was pretty easy for me at let's see, uh, at $64, which I think is a very agreeable price for a bottle of wine. This is a German Riesling from the Moselle region, I believe. Is that yeah, it's a Moselle region region or like I think, it's, I think it's the river but it's uh the winemaker is julian hart it's the thousand liter feuder to 2022 very young but danny actually was kind enough to get me a bottle from this winemaker as a thank you for something i did for her in august and i was a DJ'd huge fi- my wedding dj dj vino verde i think it might be retired forever by the way i think your what? wedding was no kind of, it's like kind of like jay-z at the black album oh like i'm gonna come back but it won't be as good I don't want you this. You were the biggest hit 
This is the Not worst wine news of the week. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll see. Here's the thing is most of my friends have already been married off now. So and let's be honest, if they're gonna get married again, they're probably not gonna have a big wedding with a DJ. So all right. So uh, Danny was nice enough to get a uh, bottle of the, their Riesling for me. I was a huge fan of it. Uh, Julian Hart, H-A-A-R-T. It's like a younger winemaker. And uh, I think it's Northwestern Germany. That's where um, I believe that's where a lot of the Riesling wine country is. Obviously, Riesling is one of the biggest grapes in Germany, if not the biggest. I think it actually defin- definitively is the biggest grape there. But I would think this is probably a warmer night. I think of Los Angeles is warmer, obviously, de- definitely warmer than Seattle. And very, you know, acidic and bubbly, maybe lightly bubbly, but really neutral food wine. So, you know, I can go back, I can switch back and forth between like chicken and braised beef short ribs and cold noodle salad. And then if I want to slurp up an oyster, I think it would also really do that. But whatever I switch back and forth to, my, you know, between des- apps, mains and desserts, I think it'd be really versatile for that. And again, like for $64, you really can't go wrong, especially in Los Angeles. I'm guessing based off the thousand liter, this might be not a regular 750 milliliter bottle. Or did you look that up? I did not look it up, but I was curious about that. But they didn't specify. I'm going to talk about my wine story of the week while Aaron looks up the size of this bottle. So I've been trying to get into German wine recently. And based off the 2021s that I've tried previously, I purchased some German wines about a year ago or so. Shout out to Crush Wine Store in New York and Von Bowden. They were delivered this week. And so I got a delivery for wine on, I think, Tuesday. And then I got another delivery for wine on Wednesday. And so on Tuesday, my delivery driver shows up. I go out there, show him my ID. I look old. Don't worry. They just check out ID on everyone. And then on they didn't Wednesday, check my ID. Okay. And then on Wednesday, it's a different driver and he he hops out of his truck and he's bringing me the box and I'm grabbing my wallet. And I'm like, do you need to see my ID? And he's like, no, I come here all the time. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. That's terrific. Yeah. You know, we're all just kind of degenerates in our own way. <laughs> I got I got I got kept my wins, but you got to count your losses, too. And I feel like that was somewhere around a win and a loss. I like that. Thanks for sharing, Jay. Thanks for being vulnerable. <laughs> Well, while Jay was uh, talking about that incredible story, I confirmed it looks like it's a standard 750 milliliter bottle. That's just the name of it, 1,000 liters. So anyway, yeah, I think those are all terrific wine selections. And it looks like they have availability for three next week. So you guys want to make it a date? I'm glad you said three and not six. <laughs> I, guess we're, I guess we're leaving the partners at home. Oh, no, we want to have fun. I'm just joking. <laughs> Now we move on to the next section here. I'm so excited for this. Danny's hot yeah. take of the week. My hot take of the week, which I didn't think was a hot take, but apparently it is. I think wine stores are scary. Like spooky? Like they give me anxiety. Are you overwhelmed by the choices or overwhelmed by making the wrong choice? Both. Mostly because there's so many choices that I just freeze. And I'm like, what am I supposed to pick? And then all the people who work there are off doing their own thing. And you don't want to bug them, even though, you know, they'd probably love it. But you don't want to because you know nothing about wine and you're going to make a fool of yourself, you know? And you're introverted. And I'm introverted, yeah. Right. So Aaron and I have made friends with our wine store owners, uh, respectively, not the same owner, different but you places. You guys also know that a Riesling is a white wine. I just had to Google that right now. So 
I the thing <laughs> incredible. <laughs> the thing I would uh, advocate for is like regardless of where you are on your wine journey, like it's great to ask for advice and it's great to ask for feedback. And it's once you kind of know what you like, then you can kind of like hone in on your choices. So like I would say if you're ever going to a wine store, like be open minded when you walk into it, be willing to take feedback from whoever is working there, whether it's the owner or an employee at the time. But I think for the most part, wine stores are like trying to be friendlier educational places. And I know that can sound intimidating because you don't want to feel like you're walking into like a classroom or walking into like an infomercial or car salesman trying to pitch you on buying the most expensive bottle there. But in my experience of going to wine stores repeatedly or going to a new wine store or even going to wine stores in foreign countries where I don't speak the language, you can usually either figure things out by trying to point to things. Or if you can speak the language, you can ask for, hey, I like this. What would you recommend? Or, hey, I was looking for a Nebbiolo tonight. What would you recommend from what's in stock? And I think just opening that dialogue will will help bridge the gap. And a lot of times, once you build those relationships, then you'll get the wink, wink, nudge, nudge and the secret handshake, too. <laughs> yeah, just right. to mirror what Jared was saying. Yeah, try to find, you know, a local wine shop. Generally, it's better if they're, you know, locally or independently operated just because they'll they want to sell everything. They don't want to sell. For example, if you go to a big box store, I was one in particular where they have their, you know, direct wineries, which are totally fine. They have some great ones, but that kind of limits what they might recommend. But yeah, just tell them, you know, hey, I'm looking to bring something to a dinner party. I'm making a fancy meal or, you know, it's just Wednesday night. I want to spend something that's $14 or at the most, you know, what would you recommend for, you know, a cheaper bottle of wine? So always, always leverage, you know, the employees there, because that's kind of what they're there for in a lot of ways. Like, and generally they work at a wine store because they're either passionate or interested in wine. And if they're rude to you, you know, they can go fly a kite. So, yeah. And also giving them some parameters, even if it's just price or region yeah. or whatever, helps so much. Because like, if you just go in there like, oh, I like white wine, like, that's fine. But like, tr- they like to be creative. So like go in there and be like, hey, I like I'm thinking about having a crisp white tonight somewhere in the 20 to 30 dollar range. And then you'll actually see them start to think about things and probably give you a really good recommendation rather than going in there and saying like, hey, a white wine for a Tuesday night with seafood. Like what you got? Like try to be a little bit more specific if you can. All right. Makes sense. Maybe I'll try the local wine store. You should. You should go in there and be like, I like Gamay. What should I try next? Perfect. And if they don't have a recommendation for you, there's more than one wine store in the world. So keep it moving. Yeah, keep it moving. Also, Danny, every time you interact with someone, they might be a new friend. So that's something to think about. (laughs) Gosh, I have so many of those. No, not enough. All right. Danny, I I appreciate you being vulnerable, too. Thank you. You're welcome. Next, what's in our glass this week, guys? Danny, how do you feel about pronouncing this wine? Uh Uh-oh. Don't yeah. Go-bron-dona. Yeah. I think it's Don-ay-nay. Don-ay-na. Don-ay-nay. na go ron dona So this is a Spanish white wine. <laughs> I, we, we were just talking about Spanish wines earlier. We were. We were. This is actually from the Basque country, too. Oh. So it, it does kind of relate, but it's not... It's is, kind Rio, of, is Rioja related? Is, it, is that in the Basque region? I don't think so. Okay, I, know um, it's I don't know if it, I'm legitimately asking, not trying to be a dick. No, I, I don't. I don't think it. I don't think that's from the Basque region. Okay, uh, but I, I think the but this the one war, is 
Yeah, I think the war on cheap wine also includes a war on some of the vines that are planted in the Basque country. Yeah. So that's why it gets roped in together. But I think Rioja like is separate and is also the most common like thing associated with Spanish wine. Gotcha. Um, this is uh, predominant. It's a white blend, so it's not just one grape, but it's predominantly a grape I had never heard of before. Honderabi Zuri, 85% of that, and then a few others mixed in there. I guess I shouldn't put my spin on this yet, but uh, Danny, how do you feel about this? I like it. It was easy to open. It's easy to drink. There's no really strong flavors to me. I get apple notes, and I could drink this whole glass very easily. That, for you, Danny, that's actually quite the, uh, you know... That, that's uh, a big compliment for a wine a to come from Danny, because uh, her... <laughs> Her sink drinks probably as much wine as she does sometimes. <laughs> this this is a this is a great uh, food wine in my opinion. I think this yeah. would pair with a lot of great seafood or even fresh seasonal vegetable dishes. It's not like Danny said. It's not super complex. It's not super layered. It's it's just kind of like their cell sweetness there. There you there's get the just apple. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get a ton of acid or structure, but mm-hmm. I still. I mean, I'm still pretty happy with what it is. We purchased it for $21. It's available from multiple online retailers. D Mason Selections is the importer. Aaron, how do you feel about this one? I'm a huge fan of it, mostly because it kind of puts me, you know, in a where I'm podcasting, it's very dark, kind of cool, a little rainy. So it kind of brings me back to summer. I could think of just like, you know, that breeze flowing through my hair, like, Back at uh, back in the California coast, when we were there for Danny's wedding, or I was there for Danny's wedding, so it's a very it's a very transporty you know type of wine. Shout out Jason Statham, transporter. Um, but I I'm a huge fan of it. It's like I said, it's really neutral. It kind of checks a lot of boxes. It's not going to be you know it's not made to age in your cellar for years and years and years. It's it's made to be drunk young. But I think it would be it's perfect for really any f- lighter fare. You know anything chicken seafood just begging for that. But yeah, no, it's it's really nice. You can tell it's well crafted. I like a little bit. There's some natural carbonation, so a little bit of that effervescence is really refreshing. So I'm very happy with it, and it's cool to try new grapes. I had never heard of that grape. I'm not going to try to say it. Actually, Jared, can you say it one more time for our listeners? No chance. Uh, Correction Corner has already struck, and Rioja it does grow in the Basque Country. So oh. completely wrong on that take. But this wine, <laughs> this wine, the the viticulture and winemaker. Oof, boy, this is going to be a hard name to say. This is our Ennisosti's personal mission is to show the world that Handarabi Zuri, that's the grape, the indigenous grape of this region can be more than just lighthearted wine. It can be serious and multifaceted and truly world class. She's a female winemaker. She's been working there since 1994. And I think she's invested a ton of time in the vineyard from what I remember. So you can kind of tell it definitely tastes like a well-made wine. It's it's an interesting grape, as Aaron mentioned. It's it's definitely a new experience for me. And as the wines warmed up, I pulled it out of my wine fridge probably about an hour ago now. Yeah. So it's probably up to like 65 degrees about now. And there, there's more flavors coming from it. So I think I was a little wrong about the complexity of it. I think over the next day or two, it might evolve even more if it lasts that long. But it's probably going to be tapped and finished tonight with sushi. And it's and it's really nice as you get married for, you know, once you're married for several years, it's nice to have new experiences. So having a new grape on a Friday night is really something else. It's one of the few pleasures left in life, you know? 
<laughs> but yeah, no, this is from just west of the of San Sebastian, which is if folks are aware is kind of a mecca for food, fine dining, and just looks like it's a lovely place to visit. So I think our next field trip should be to San Sebastian. What do you guys say? I would love that. Okay. But yeah, terrific, terrific wine. I think it's great for the price point and uh, a little different too. Yeah. Highly recommend. I give it a 8.9 out of 10. Wow. 8.9. Wow. Wow. Almost a day. Next episode, I think we'll be talking about some Italian wine. So we'll drop something on the show notes to give you uh, an idea of what we'll be drinking next in case you want to drink along with us. But Aaron, you want to take us home? Ciao, Bella. Oh, about for the sign off. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know Italian, unfortunately. But yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate everyone's li- listening and hope you uh, we piqued your interest and uh, taught you something. For Danny, JR, and myself, thanks for listening. Thank you. 